We are kicking into uh, the third week of a series called Created for Significance. Created for Significance. And uh, what we talked about last week was the fact that our being created for significance is not necessarily contingent on our feelings. In fact, Ephesians tells us we're a masterpiece. When we align our lives with Jesus Christ and the relationship that we can have with Him, God says, you're a masterpiece. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we align our lives with. And um, we talked last week also from Kings, because you may look at what you've accomplished, what you've done, and think, man, it's just a lot of stuff that you know, nobody even knows about, nobody sees. There was a master artist by the name of Hiram, and he was, uh, he was selected to finish the temple, and they put up the pillars that were part of this porch, and uh, he, he put these pillars together with such artistic uh, greatness. He, he was a man, the Bible says, a f- full of wisdom and understanding when it came to these things, and at the very top of the pillars, does anybody know what we called it? What did, what did he put at the top of the pillars? Lily works. Excellent. Excellent. I heard from somebody actually this week that said I'm working on my lily works. Lily works. Yeah, 37 feet high. And at the very top, this artistic expression of lily works that no one was going to see except for God Himself. And often, the masterpiece work of our lives happens when no one else sees, right? It happens when it's those things that we do, those encouraging words that we share or say with someone, and truthfully, basically the audience is God himself. But those lily works wind up making sometimes an eternity of difference. How awesome to be able to be part of lily works. And so today, we're going to continue on in our series, and, uh, and, and I want to take you again to a Old Testament passage of Scripture. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage of Scripture today, and uh, in fact, it's probably a passage of Scripture that you have heard before, that, that you have seen mentioned. Maybe, in fact, it's one of those pieces of Scripture that you have on a wall, on a plaque somewhere. I know that in my office, I have a small little picture frame, and this verse is attached to that frame, but I also know that, boy, a lot of time can go by without me reflecting on this verse, and I think that it's an awesome verse as it relates to the series that we're in right now, talking about significance. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to First Chronicles. First Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. If you need some help, just look for Second Chronicles and go backwards. Uh, First Chronicles, you're still the early service, aren't you? First Chronicles, chapter 4, okay, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 9 and 10, First Chronicles, and uh, actually, if you did need, if you're looking in like a regular Bible, you can just start at the beginning and move your way forward, and when you get past those first five books, and then you come to a few other books, and then right after that, you get these first and second history books, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, all of them are right there together, and in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, this is what it says. Now, first of all, let me, let me tell you this. In the, in the midst of this chapter, 
you're getting a lot of, if you've got a King James version, it probably says begat, right? Begat. Um, and, 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 and what that means is they had a kid. They had a son. This is how the family name went on. And man, you can just get like so bogged down when you're reading through all these begats, especially if you're trying to like read through the Bible in a year or something, you know, and you're like, what in the world? And then right in the middle of this comes verse 9. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. God granted him what he requested. God answered his prayer. And of course, uh, many of you are aware that this is called, not surprisingly, the prayer of Jabez. And a number of years ago, in fact, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Wilkinson put together a book just on this small passage of Scripture, the prayer of Jabez. But we want to kind of go through and just tear this apart a little bit because even if you read the book, it's probably been a while. And it is a good reminder to us as to the prayer that he prayed and the difference that it made in his life. And is it possible that it can make a difference in our life as well. Now, here's something that you need to understand about the prayer of Jabez. You need to understand, first of all, what it is not, okay? It is not a genie in a bottle. You don't just take the prayer of Jabez and stick it up on a shelf and then pull it down whenever you need it, whenever you find it necessary. And it's just some kind of, I got this bottle and I got three or four wishes and away I go. It's not a genie in a bottle. It is not a godlike quid pro quo, okay? Some of you, you had no idea what quid pro quo meant before a year ago. But now, you, well, this is not a godlike quid pro quo. Uh, if you do this, I'll do this. If you act this way, then I'll act this way. If you, no, no. It's not a hocus pocus. What it is, is taking God's Word for us and praying it, saying it, sharing it back to Him. Remember what we've said earlier on, not just in this series, but in the series previous. God cannot help but be what? Help me. God cannot help but be God. Yeah. There's no way around God being God. So if God has said something in His Word, He can't go back on it in His will. Do you understand? The will of God can never go against the Word of God. Let me say that to you again. That, that bears repeating. The will of God can never go against the Word of God. And so we need to understand that God is God. He can't help himself. And therefore, if it has been said, if it has been promised, 
And we don't feel that we are getting the repercussions of that promise, then what's the problem? Well, it's not God. It's us. It's us. And so when we see something in God's word that is a promise, it's what we talked about a few weeks ago when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing. God says, test me in this. Now, are you supposed to test God in anything? No. Only the things where God says, test me in this. And that's why we said, try it. Give it a shot. Tithe to God what God gives you and see if he doesn't, if he doesn't keep his word, then don't do it. Stop. Well, God, you didn't keep your end of the bargain. But we can't try it for, you know, we'll try it in this area, we try it, and then it doesn't work. No, God says, do it, try it, test me, I'll come through. Is it possible, I'm just asking, is it possible the same thing applies to the prayer of Jabez? When God's word says it, why aren't we claiming it? Now again, remember what it's not, okay? It's not hocus pocus. It's not magic. It's not genie in a bottle. It's not quid pro quo with God. But it's simply reading God's word and oftentimes taking it for what it says. Nothing wrong with breaking it apart. Nothing wrong. Every once in a while, you know, I'll throw something out to you and say, hey, now this is the Greek. This is what it says in you. This is the Hebrew. That's all awesome. Sometimes, though, you can just read it and be like, okay, I'll do that. And then see if God doesn't respond. That's kind of what we have here in the prayer of Jabez. So I want to break this apart a little bit, and I'm going to give you four words today, okay? I'm going to give you the outline right now so you can know this is where we're going, and then you can kind of know how we're getting there and when we're going to end and all that kind of thing. You can see it approaching, okay? But there's four words. The first word is called. The second word is blessed. The third word is increased. And the fourth word is protected. Okay? Called, blessed, increased, protected. Those are the four words that we're going to look at today as we pull apart this prayer of Jabez. First one is called. Called. The verse, the scripture passage, says that his mother called him Jabez. Why? Because I bore him in pain. He was, a, he was a pain. So she describes him, right? I mean, can you imagine walking around with that name the rest of your life? Who's that? Pain. Oh, there goes pain. There goes pain. Pain where a pill can't reach. There he goes. He was born in pain. And, and, and I hate to say it, but his mom didn't just describe, his mom kind of defined him, didn't she? Because if, if you go through your life believing what you have been called, isn't it possible that oftentimes we become? And she bore him in pain, and we don't know. I mean, it's possible, of course, that it's possible that she might have, have, uh, might have been near death 
when she had him, we don't know the circumstances surrounding him. Maybe it was more uh, emotional pain, you know, and, 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 and dad like left the scene or something. We, we don't know. We just know that it was enough of an experience that mom said, pain, pain. And that's what he went around thinking, maybe even being. He was described as a pain, called a pain. Listen now, you are not what you are called, you are what you answer to. You're not what you, you are called, you, you are what you answer to. And he was called a pain. But what happens? He reverses that. In fact, you're going to find in the prayer of Jabez, he reverses a whole lot of things. He was called pain. He may have realized on my own, I can't accomplish what I want to in life. People see me as something I'm not. And so instead, he flipped it around and he called on the God of Israel. He called on God. He called on the one who could make a difference. Now, maybe, maybe this message for you is all about that first part, called. You need to understand the importance of calling on God. You need to understand the importance of prayer. Prayer is not something that you do every once in a while at a meal. Prayer is not something that you engage in as part of a morning worship service. Prayer is communication with God that we are given the opportunity to have every moment of every day. Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians that we need always to pray. Pray without ceasing. You're like, that is not feasible. Paul hasn't seen my schedule. No, I mean, have you seen Paul's schedule? He was pretty busy. It wasn't like he was walking around with his eyes closed, praying all the time. What's going on? He is always in an attitude of prayer. He was always ready to offer up a prayer. Imagine the thoughts that come into our mind, and, and sometimes they're of people, sometimes they're of situations, but what if instead of just dwelling on the thought, we were to take it to God? We were to make it a moment of prayer. Jabez called on the God of Israel. And we need to understand the power of prayer. We have the opportunity to talk with God. The creator of the universe wants to hear from us. Don't hesitate to call on him. Number two, blessed. Now, we're going to land here for a few minutes. So don't think, oh my goodness, if he takes this long in the next two, we won't. But I, I want to stay here for just a few moments because, of course, this is the integral part of this prayer, right? Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Bless me indeed. Bless me and then some. Bless me indeed. That's a very American prayer, don't you think? Doesn't that sound very Americanized? Bless me. I mean, do you respond like that? Do you know people that respond? How you doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. This is a very American prayer. Bless me. Bless me. Here's the question. Is it possible that we relegate significance? Because that's what we are talking about, right? Being created for significance. Is it possible we relate, we relegate significance to blessing and blessing to possession? We relegate significance to blessing and blessing to possession. When we get a new house, we're blessed. When we get a new car, we're blessed. When we go on vacation, we're blessed. When it's Christmas and there's a lot of gifts under the tree, we're blessed. You get a day off and you go to the mall. You know, some of you haven't been to the mall in a while. And you finally get the chance to go out and, you know, they've marked everything down. You go on a shopping spree, you're blessed. We sometimes relegate the blessing of God to possession. And our significance is associated with blessing, which is associated with materialism and possession. And, and, and we, we, in a sense, tie the hands of God as far as blessing is concerned. Because we only see it as circumstantial. And that's not what God had in mind when it comes to blessing. Now, are all of those things a blessing? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please, don't get me wrong, okay? You get the new car, that's a blessing of God. You move into a new house, blessing of God. You move into an old house, that's a blessing of God. Fix it up. All of that is the blessing of God, but it's not relegated to that. Because then what happens? We are only blessed when those things happen, right? Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Was he really? Is there some part of us that somehow thinks? Jabez was saying, give me lots of stuff. Was that part of the equation? Yeah, maybe. But there's far more to it than that. Because, see, here, here is something that all of us need to understand, and maybe more so those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ in America than anywhere else in the world. Blessed doesn't take away stressed. Can I say that again? Blessed doesn't take away stressed. I want you to check this scripture out. Luke chapter 13. So flip all the way over now to the New Testament, okay? Or <laughs> hit your phone and tap the button. But I want you to go to Luke chapter 13. This is a passage of scripture that we don't necessarily deal with a whole lot. But it is interesting because it is the words of Jesus. And they make such a difference. 
Now, there were some present at that time. What are we talking about? We're talking about a group of people who were listening to Jesus. They were with Jesus at this particular time in his ministry. There were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate, you ever heard of him? Yeah, of course. Same guy. Same Pilate. Whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, let me stop right there for just a moment and tell you what's going on. These people have come to give Jesus the report. <laughs> of course, they don't quite understand who Jesus is, and he, he has the report already. He, he knew before it happened. But anyways, another story. They come to share with Jesus the report that Pilate has killed, executed some Jewish believers, some Galileans, Okay? He's executed them. And, and here's the problem. He did it, ready for this? While they were worshiping. We, we hear of, of, of something that happens, you know, during a worship service. And part of the reason that we have security and all that kind of thing is because of these terrible occurrences that happen in our world. And when they happen, we tend to get all up in arms and say, oh, the world is getting worse. No, not really. <laughs> it's about the same as it was in Jesus' day. There were Galileans who were worshiping, and Pilate sends in the soldiers, and they are executed, killed on the spot. And, and they come to share this news with Jesus. And Jesus answered, do, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Do you think they did something wrong and that's why this happened? Because that was the prevailing thought back in Jesus' day. Remember, Jesus was walking with his disciples, and there was a blind person crying out to Jesus, Hey, you know, I'm here. Help me. And his disciples said, uh, What sin has this man committed or his parents? Can we get the details? Can we find out what he did wrong? And Jesus is like, He didn't do anything wrong, and neither did his parents. It's kind of the same situation here. Do, do you think that, that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? He, he brings up another news event, doesn't he? He brings up another catastrophic day where CNN and Fox News and NBC and ABC, they all had the cameras there. They were covering this story. A tower fell and 18 people died. He says, do you think they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. What was he saying? Bad things happen to good people people and he says it again it's interesting unless you repent you too will all 
perish. Jesus turns their focus on themselves. Rather than focusing on the event and the people that perished, he turns their focus on them and he says, what about your life? And the first thing, it basically is, are you ready to meet God? Because unless you repent, you're going to perish. For those people that were not ready to meet the Creator, they perished. There's something worse than death. And that's an eternity away from God. So he turns the focus around. Then, he takes it another step further. So it starts with faith, right? We talk a lot about that. It's the first step in our relationship with God. It's the next steps as far as pleasing God. But he keeps going in verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up good soil? Put another tree in there. Let's try it. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. Give it a bit more time. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus is talking first of all about faith, but then he expands the message and talks about fruit. There's another passage of scripture where Jesus is walking along. I mean, it's, this is like open the eyes of the disciples' experience. In fact, it's closer even to his death and all of that kind of thing. And they're walking towards Jerusalem. He comes to a fig tree. And he thinks, I'll go get a piece of fruit from the fig tree. And he comes up there and the fig tree has no fruit on it. It's dead. Jesus curses the tree and it withers. It's just like, you're done. If you are not going to bear any fruit, then why are you here? So he goes to the one who's taking care of the vineyard. Hey, why don't we just cut this down? It's not very, give it, give it some more time. Give it some more time. And, and so in personal opinion, in my opinion, Jesus shares this parable after hearing this new story to say, look, it starts with faith. You've got time to repent. You've got time to get right with God. But you don't know how long you have. There is an expiration date. At the same time, those of you that maybe would have been there worshiping, those of you that make it a habit of worshiping, are you bearing fruit? Are you allowing your life to make a difference? You've got more time. You've got more time. When we are not part of the chaos, it needs to be a reminder to us to make the most of our time. 
Paul would say in Ephesians, redeem the time. That's how valuable it is. He says, buy it. Buy it up. Time is valuable. Not just for the moments of life that we can enjoy, but for the moments of life where we can make a difference, where we can make significance. So, just because we pray for blessing doesn't mean there's not going to be stressing. Because Jesus himself said, hey, they were worshiping, but they weren't any worse off than anyone else that could have or should have been there. There is a, a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. His wife was a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliott. Um, had the chance to meet her one time. She came to camp as a special speaker a long time ago. And she was the wife of this missionary who was friends with a number of other missionaries and young couples, and they decided to go and endeavor to reach the Aka Indians in South America. And their story is widely circulated and well-known, but these missionaries made a landing of a plane and thought they were making a difference, thought they were communicating, and something happened, and all of them were killed. And, and when they were not heard from, a search plane went in and found all of their bodies with spears in them from these Indians who refused to even allow them passage in to where they would stay. After a couple years had gone by, Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter went to live with the Aka Indians. And she began sharing Christ with them. And other missionaries would follow. And at some point, she would actually meet the man who put the spear into her husband. And he would become a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only a believer, but he would become a leader and a pastor among those people. She wrote a book that recounted that experience. And that book was ranked number nine in the 50 books that Christianity ranked as far as making a difference in evangelism. Number nine. But here's the deal. That doesn't happen unless she loses a husband, right? And sometimes the blessing comes as a result of the burden. Sometimes the blessing comes as a result of the burden. My guess is that Jabez, <laughs> when he recounted his growing up years, he was more grateful for the blessing of God that came in his adult years because of how he had had to grow up being known as a pain. It was the burden of those years that added to the blessing of the years later. 
And sometimes it is our burdens, the burdens, those difficult times and moments that we've had to go through that God uses to become a blessing, to make into a blessing. That is why Romans 8.28 is so awesome. For all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We lost a dear friend of, of Calvary this past week. And uh, Jerry went home to be with the Lord earlier this week, and we had his homegoing service yesterday. But in his homegoing service, there were people who accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Now, is it possible that Jerry lives and those people accept Christ at a later time, in a later moment? Yes. But even in the midst of the difficulty of death, God can use those moments for blessing. The blessings sometimes come as a result of the burden. And if you are faithful in the difficulties, there is a pleasure and a peace and a purpose. Let me say that again. I know I am somewhat alliteration happy at times, but that's a good one, okay? So let me say it to you again. If you are faithful through the difficulties, there is a pleasure and a peace and a purpose that only God can provide. Do you understand that Webster's Dictionary, the dictionary defines blessing as to be made holy. To be made holy. That's blessing. So, when we pray, bless me indeed, our prayer needs to encompass so much more than what our minds kind of automatically go to. Bless me with a peace that passes understanding. Bless me with joy overflowing. Bless me with wisdom to see and understand your ways. Bless me with your love and compassion for those around me. Bless me with discernment as I make decisions. Bless me with grace for the unexpected turns in life. Bless me financially so that I can live a life of giving. Bless me with Power and strength, anointing, endorse, encourage, and empower me. Those all are the blessings of God. And in fact, those blessings are talked about in Scripture. Bless me indeed. Don't just put the new car in the driveway. Bless me in ways that your word promises to bless. All right, we got we to wrap up. Called, blessed, increased. What does he say? Enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. What, what is he asking? Increase my influence. Increase my influence. And audit... Uh, a lot of times, our, our, our attitude can keep us from the increase that God wants for us. We didn't get what we wanted. 
We didn't get the promotion we thought we deserved. We didn't get the step up the ladder that we thought was coming. We didn't receive what we thought we should have received. We didn't get what we thought we should get. And when that happens, sometimes our attitude becomes bitter. Our attitude becomes anger. There is no way when we are planting those kinds of seeds. In fact, Scripture, New Testament, calls them roots of bitterness. There is no way that we can plant those seeds and expect an increase from God. We are keeping ourselves from the increase. Again, God can't help but be God. But, but if we are planting seeds of love and grace, if you plant seeds of, and, and where does it start? Let's be honest, it starts in the family, right? So, so if we're planting love and grace and peace, if we're planting those fruits of the Spirit, seeds from fruits of the Spirit, right? If we're planting those with the people that we love, with the people that are closest to us, and we pray that prayer, God, enlarge my territory. Don't you think there's a pretty good chance that God's going to give you an opportunity to expand that influence and expand that outreach? Because if you are sowing seeds of love and joy and grace with the people that are closest to you, well then, I can expand your influence. I can give you a chance to do the same thing with people that are outside of your family, people that are outside your neighborhood, people that are outside your community. He enlarges our territory when he sees that we are willing conduits of all that his spirit provides. But if... if, if remember the, the, the parable of the talents... You know, the, the guy gave everybody some talents, some, some, some gifts, some money to steward, to take care of while he was away, and then he comes back, you know, and the one who had ten multiplied it, and the one who had five multiplied it, or excuse me, the one who had five multiplied it to ten, the one who had two multiplied it to four, the one who had one buried it, right? And he says to the ones who had expanded it, well done. Because you have done well with what I gave you, I'm going to give you even more influence, even more opportunity. Because you did well with what you were given. If we do well with what God gives, isn't it possible He will expand our influence, expand our opportunity, expand our territory. That's what Jabez prays for. There's a story in, in Genesis chapter 13, I won't take the time to read it, but it's a story of Abraham, who of course God had chosen, and he took along with him his nephew, Lot, evidently Lot's dad had passed, and, and so Abraham felt like he should take care of his brother's son, and, and so he has Lot with him, and, and God blesses Lot, basically because of association with Abraham. But they, they, they run into a difficulty when actually God blesses so much that their herds and their herdsmen start bumping into each other. So Abraham calls Lot over and he says, look, there's no need for this disagreement. We don't want this to interrupt or erupt into something that it doesn't need to. So look, here's the land. There's enough for both of us. 
we just divide it in two, and, and you take one side and I'll take the other. You choose. And Lot looks out and he sees that one side is pretty lush. <laughs> a lot of grass, a lot of green. His, his herds will be taken good care of. And the other side, eh, it's okay, but you know, there's definite difference. And so Lot... He takes the green side. He takes the lush side. Now, let's just, let's play a game and pretend that that's uh, Mason, okay? And I'm Abraham. You want to know what my attitude is going to be? Okay, that was a test and you just failed. Right? Because, uh, let's be honest, Whatever you have, you have because of me. I didn't have to bring you along on this trip, okay? I decided to because I'm a good uncle. I'm a good guy. And I just gave you an opportunity to pick, thinking for sure you're going to take this over here because let's be honest, you didn't earn what you have. And instead, you chose... I'm just saying, from a human perspective, that seems a lot like what I might say. You want to know what Abraham says? Okay, that'll be fine. And Lot takes the good side of the land, the lush side of the land. Abraham had every right to basically take Lot to school and say, look, dude, enough of this. We're not going to have a problem because I'm taking care of it right now. You're done. You head over here and keep all your crap over there and leave me alone. He had every right to do that, but that's not what he does. He simply says, no problem, and takes the next step. Why? Because he knew that God would be God. He knew that if he did things God's way, God would do things God's way. And if he let God be God, he would be fine. And you want to know something? He was. He was. He was more than fine. He was more than one. God blessed him. God continued to enlarge his territory. Because with those closest around him, Abraham was planting seeds of love and grace and mercy. And God says, I can use that. I can use that. And then finally, the last point is, he was protected. Keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. And I just wonder, I just wonder if there was a little catch in Jabez's voice when he prayed that prayer, I just wonder if it's possible that a tear began to trickle from his eye when he thought about the fact that he was named pain. But he had come to realize that it's, it's not what I'm called that causes pain. It's what I do that can cause pain. So keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. He realizes it's not me 
It's what I do. So keep me from doing what's wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There is no temptation that has taken you but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will with the temptation make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it? What if this were to become our prayer? That God would keep us from evil. Just don't, 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 don't even let me go that direction. Don't let me lean that direction. Keep me because I don't want to cause pain. I don't want to be a pain, God. I've had enough of that label. Keep it from me that I might not be the cause of someone else's pain. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says to us, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Let me stop right there. What does the word immeasurably mean? We've got a couple engineers in the house. I could ask them, and they would probably give you a pretty good definition. But I believe that the word immeasurably means you can't measure it. <laughs> it is impossible for you to do an Excel sheet and put that down. And Paul says to him who is able to do what you can't measure. You, you can't put it down what God is able to to perform what he's able to do. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, whatever we ask, whatever we imagine, God is able to do so much more. So why wouldn't we, if it worked for Jabez, make his prayer our prayer? So, this is your challenge. We've had a number of them this year, haven't we? As we've kind of tried to grow and expand in 2021 and make this a, a bigger, better year than 2020. We've, we've had quite a few challenges, challenge to get into God's Word and read it, a, a challenge of, of fasting, that you, you were fasting and praying for things for uh, a number of, of weeks, a, a challenge as far as our giving is concerned, a challenge to tithe back to God what He has given us and just test Him in this. I'm going to give you another challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to pray the prayer of Jabez. Now, I'm sure that most of you have a, a prayer life. You know, you have a prayer time. You, prayer is part of your day. But whether it is or whether it isn't, I want, it, I want to encourage you to pray the prayer of Jabez for 21 days and see what God does. See what God does. See how God blesses. Not, again, genie in the bottle blessing, Okay? Now, is it possible that he would bless you in financial means? Yes. Yes. I'm not trying to take that away. 
But if he did it, is there a purpose for it, and how do we respond to it? With grateful hearts, giving back to him that which is his. But I'm saying there's a whole other, there's a whole nother level of blessing that we're not tapping into. The blessing of the joy and the peace and the purpose of God in our lives. I want you to pray that prayer for 21 days. I want you to see how God blesses. I want you to see how God increases. How he intersects your life with people who need you. Actually, they need him, but they're going to use you. 21 days. Prayer of Jabez. What could, what would God do if we made that our prayer? So that's the challenge. Whatever your age, whatever season of life you're in, let's pray the prayer of Jabez and see what God does in our lives and see if he doesn't do something significant because that's what we were created for, to be difference makers. And he wants to use you I don't know who it'll be with. I don't know how he'll intersect your life with the person that needs, the people that need, but he'll do it. And I believe sometimes he waits for us to pray the prayer, to ask him. Jesus himself said, hey, if you knock, if you seek, if you ask, I'll respond. So, that's the challenge. 21 days, let's pray the prayer of Jabez. I think for some of you, by the end of 21 days, if you were to do it, it'll be something that you do for the rest of your life. Because it, it won't be, you understand, right? It's the prayer of Jabez because he's the dude that prayed it. But the idea is that you'll make it your prayer. And that God will respond the way he did for Jabez. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, this is such a unique story that we have in the Old Testament. It, amidst all of these generational histories, you just kind of throw this one in there. Because here is this guy that kind of rose above. Even though he was labeled something else, he became a difference maker. He lived a life more honorable than even those in his family. And then, Lord, he prayed, and he asked you for specific blessing. He asked you for increased responsibility. He asked you for an, an increased opportunity. And he asked for your protection. And, Lord, you answered his prayer. I'm praying, Lord, that you do that for each person here. I'm praying, Lord, that as we pray that prayer and as we allow it to become part of our lives, that we might endeavor to look for, to seek after your blessing, to be grateful for your blessing, to look for opportunities, Lord, for our lives to intersect the lives of other people, starting with those that are closest to us, that we love the most. May we plant those seeds, Lord, of love and grace and long-suffering and kindness and joy. And Lord, 
may you then give us increasing opportunity to do that in the lives of other people. Oh, that you would bless us indeed. That you would enlarge our territory. And Father, that you would keep us from evil that we might not cause others pain. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.